a series. Uh, this is week four of our series, More Than a Feeling. And we are just kind of talking about what we believe, why we believe it, and why, uh, what it's based on. Uh, because uh, more and more in our culture, we are, we're in a place in our culture where uh, people's beliefs are based on feeling and gut. And uh, our, our faith is not based on a feeling. Our, base, our faith is not based on gut. Our faith is based on, on truth that, the, that God has revealed himself through this word. This is truth. This is what we base our faith on. This is so much more than a feeling, so much more than anything that we could ever just come up with on our own. This is, this is, this is real. And so this is, we've been kind of talking over the last few weeks about what we believe, why we believe it. What do we believe about God? We believe that God is the holy, just uh, creator of all things, that he is eternal, that he is all-knowing, that even he knows everything that you have done in your past, and there is nothing that you could do to make him love you more or less, that this is, this is God he understands, he knows you, he knows everything, and he still loves you. He still wants to be in a relationship with you. We talked about in week two what we believe about Jesus, that Jesus, in Philippians 2, it makes it pretty clear, Jesus is God, Jesus became human, Jesus humbled himself to even death on a cross, so that one day, every knee and every tongue would confess that he is Lord. This is Jesus. This is Jesus and this is what we believe about Jesus. Right? In week three, we talked last week about what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Why do, what do we believe and why do we believe it? What is this Holy Spirit that we believe in? We believe that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God that is within each and every believer. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you have said yes to Christ, then you have received the Holy Spirit. And with that Holy Spirit comes power. The Holy Spirit comes in, in Acts chapter 1, verses 8, and Jesus says to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this power is power to, 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 to follow the will of God. It is power to share the gospel boldly. It is power. Uh, he empowers us with spiritual gifts. It is power to live a holy life. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and our lives should look different since we have received the Holy Spirit. Hopefully this week you've been paying attention a little bit to your life and you've been paying attention to, to how is my life different now that I have the Holy Spirit. Is my life as a Christian different than someone who does not know Christ? Because it should be because I have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is empowering me. The Holy Spirit is pushing me and driving me and changing me to become more and more maturing into the image of Jesus Christ. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. I, I hope that you have been challenged this last week to look at some of that. Today, uh, we're going to kind of look into how God reveals himself to us. How does this God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what is, the, what is one of the main ways that this God reveals himself to us and communicates to us? It is through his word. So what do we believe about this book? What do we believe about the Bible? What do we believe about how this Bible can change us and shape us? What, what do we believe about this book? If you have had any, any conversations with non-Christians over the last couple years about your faith and about the Bible and they don't believe and they're questioning, probably two questions come up. The first one is this, how was it written? 
How, 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 how should I, why should I trust this thing? I'm not even sure why or how it came together. Well, this, this book, we believe, is inspired by God. We believe that God moved through his spirit, through certain people, at certain times, over, I think, 60 generations of people, to, to give us his word. We do not believe, and some people kind of like to make fun of this, oh, you like this book, it's just a book that you believe that God just kind of wrote it with his own pen and just dropped it down from heaven and here we go. No, this is not what we believe. God, we, don't, we do not believe that God got out pen and paper one day and decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write the book of Lamentations because that's how I'm feeling right now. No, uh, we, we really believe that God inspired human beings at certain times to write these things, we believe that the Holy Scriptures are inspired by God. There are 66 books in here. More than 40 authors in here. The longest, longest psalm, longest chapter, Psalm 119. Shortest chapter, Psalm 117. There's a great one in the middle if you want to go look. Right There's the, and the longest verse, I think, is Esther 8-9. The shortest verse is John 11, I forgot the verse now, come on, John, <laughs> John 11, 35. And we have, we just have all this, this is, this is the, this is years and years in the making. This book that we have in our hands, inspired by God through people in, in about 60 generations. And in the fourth century, we get it put together like this. And this is the way it has been. Through debating, through all kinds of things in the early centuries, this is what we have. This, we believe, is the inspired word of God, written for you and for me. And so if someone asks you, you're having a conversation about faith, how was it written? And you can tell them there is a, there's a long story to how this is written and it is a beautiful story to how this is written. One of my, one of my favorite uh, memories is to go see, going to see the Dead Sea Scrolls in San Diego when I was in college there. It was, just, it was just beautiful to just see these original manuscripts of Scripture. I was walking, I was walking with Rachel, and in front of us there was, a, there was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, and she was walking in front of us, and she was reading these manuscripts. It was just, it was one of the most powerful things for me, just to hear this Jewish rabbi, you know, just going through and reading off these scriptures. This is, this is this passage, this is this passage, this is amazing. She's, you know, she's just in amazement and in awe of these things, and I'm in amazement and awe of, of, of just watching her go through and read all these things. I don't know the original languages, I can't read that, but it was just powerful. There is a beautiful story to how this book is written. You, you have probably had this question how was it written? But I think probably the, the, the most common question that we get about Scripture is this. How does a book that was put together 1,600 years ago-ish, how is this relevant to my life in 2019? Why should this book be important for me today? 
There is a growing thread of belief that says that this book is way too old. It is written in, a, in an entirely different, different, uh, different context, an entirely different culture, that some of this stuff is just bogus, right? But, but if, this is, if this is what we believe it is, and we'll talk about this in a second, we have to believe what's in this book. We have to trust what is in this book. This book, how, the, the, this, this question, how does it... How does it uh, <clears throat> How does it apply to my life today? Uh, we, we understand, yes, this is, this is an old book. There are, again, over 60 generations of authors here. This is a very old book. There are very old teachings and very old writings, but every single one of them still applies to our lives today. I want to make this clear this morning. Scripture is still relevant. Scripture is still important. Scripture is still clear it is still inspired. It still applies. This is what we believe about this book. Now, I think this is clear, really, in the two metaphors that we like to use as we talk about Scripture, right? We like to talk about Scripture as a love letter. How many of you have heard Scripture as a love letter, right? We, we like to talk about this. I think this is a great way. It kind of, you know, to some people you say, this, this is a love letter, and they think, that's just so weak. <laughs> I've heard people say that to me. That is, that is the weakest way to think about Scripture. But honestly, I think it's a great way to think about Scripture. Right? You talk about this book, and, and in Genesis chapter 1, God begins to create, and He says, it is good. God loves what He is creating. He knows what He is creating. He loves it. He loves humans. He, he, he creates humans in His own image, and He says, they are very good, and there is a relationship built between God and humans. Is the whole purpose for creation. Genesis chapter 3 comes along. Humans kind of ruin the whole thing. We give in to temptation. We give in to sin. Three chapters later, God regrets making humans. You can read that yourself. Genesis chapter 6. But from that point on in Scripture, the rest of this story is about God chasing His people running after them, trying to renew and restore this relationship that was started in the very beginning. And this, this story is a love letter. It is a love letter to you and to me. It is a story of a God who loves you enough to chase you, who loves you enough to want this relationship with you so badly, badly in fact enough, that he would send his son to die for you and to die for me. This is a, this is a story of a God who loves you and would go to great lengths to, re, to, to get in relationship with you once again. This is a love letter. And if this is the way we want to look at it, how is this not relevant today? How does this book apply to my life? This book that was written so long ago, how does this book apply to my life in 2019? Well, this is the story of a God who loves you enough to send his own son to die for you so that you and him might have a relationship for eternity. And if this is true, man, we need to just be diving into this book. If this is a story of God's love for you and God's love for me, then man, let's, let's dive in. Absolutely still relevant. Absolutely still applies. The second way, probably my favorite, that we, that we talk about this book is we give it a title. 
We talk about it as, as the Word of God. And if this is the Word of God, then we just need to be in this Word. We believe that this is the inspired Word of God. We, we believe that. We believe that this is God's Word written to you, written to me. And if that is true, how can we not, how can we not just chase after it? How, how would we believe that this is not relevant? If God's Word, if this is God's Word, then we should be all over this book. We should trust this book. We should go in time of need, in time of confusion. This is where we should run because this is the way in which God has revealed Himself to us and the way in which God communicates to us. This book, we need to be all over. We need to be in this book. Now, I want to walk our way uh, kind of slowly to 2 Timothy today. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, there's a pretty clear passage of what Scripture says about itself. So we're going to get there. But I want to, I want to take kind of a, a, a stroll through Scripture here to get to, to why the Word of God is important. Why it's important for us to trust the Word of God, why it's important for us to know the Word of God, why it's important for us to see this book as the Word of God. So, let's start our, start our little walk here uh, in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16 is, uh, uh, we get kind of this picture of Moses. Moses has already brought his people out of Egypt. Uh, he is leading them through the wilderness, and his people are hungry. And they're grumbling, they're complaining, God, why, why did you bring us out of Egypt? There we were at least fed. We had a, a roof over our head there. What are you doing to us? They're kind of questioning, God, why, why did you bring us out here just to starve and to die? And God begins to, to kind of let them know that he is real, that he is there, that he is with them. In chapter 16, We'll start at verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out of the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to repair what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. But I want you to see just the, the reason for God giving them the manna here in, chapter, in verse 4. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. God is giving them bread. He's giving them what they're asking for. He's saying to them, I will take care of you. He's kind of teaching them. He's teaching them to walk in his, in his ways. He's teaching them to depend on his provision. He's teaching them to trust in his word. He's teaching them to do this on a daily basis. Let's skip ahead to, chapter, to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, we get a little more insight into what is actually going on here. What is God trying to do in this, in this time? Chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised and on oath to your ancestors. 
Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. That sounds familiar. That's exactly what God told Moses, uh, told, told Moses and Aaron in, in Exodus. Verse 3, though, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God is, is teaching them in this moment. Look, that, that time in the desert, I want you to remember when I, when I gave you manna, when you were hungry and you were in the wilderness and, and I fed you, I want you to remember that. And here's why I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word from the mouth of God. I told you that I would provide for you. I told you that I would take care of you. I told you that I would lead you into this promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. I told you all of this, that man does not live on bread alone. We all have a, a, an, an innate and inner hunger for food. That's how we were created. But God is saying we don't live off of bread alone. We live off of every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's skip ahead. Matthew chapter 4. <clears throat> Jesus is being tempted. This is Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. Jesus has just been baptized. That's literally the last thing that happens in Scripture before Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is baptized. And immediately in chapter 4, verses one, <laughs> verse, verse 1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Kind of like one of those, probably didn't need to say that in Scripture. <laughs> like we know, we know he was hungry after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. But I think Matthew is really trying to let us know, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, Jesus, he was human. Jesus actually had hunger, right? It, Jesus wasn't just like this, this God, this person that didn't feel what we feel. Jesus, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was actually hungry. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answers. Let me know if this sounds familiar. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, being tempted by Satan to make bread, to make food, says man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes Deuteronomy 8. Final stop this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> we'll start at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is what scripture says about itself. This is what the word of God says about the Word of God. 
What does it mean for us today to live off of every word that comes from the mouth of God? What does it mean for us today to find our, our sustenance in, in the word of God? I think it's, it's pretty clear in this passage just a few things that we can do, a few things that we can kind of make sure our priorities in our lives to be able to, to, to help this along. First of all is this, God word, God's word must take priority in our lives. God's word must take priority in our lives. It is not just more important than something, it is the most important. Right? God's word has to take the priority, the, the top spot in our lives. We should not find comfort in anything else. We should not find comfort in anything the world has to offer. We should find comfort in what the Word has to offer. We should find everything in the Word. The Word has to take priority for us. And it has to take priority for us in a couple different places, in our homes. The Word has to take priority for us in our homes. I mean, you read verse 14 here, and, and he's talking to Timothy. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and, beca- and have become convinced of, Because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, for faith, or salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This this verse fourteen really goes back to the beginning of Second Timothy, verse five. Says this: I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. He's saying, look, you need, to, you need to continue in this. The Word of God was a priority in your home. Your grandma taught you. Your mom taught you. And now I'm convinced that you know these scriptures through no other reason than they have been a priority in his home. Right? Scriptures have to take priority in our home. I, I remember when I was living in Lompoc, uh, well, before I lived here, I lived in Lompoc, and uh, I did a, a forum series with our, with our kids, with our teens, and we just kind of walked through different things, kind of, kind of like this series, honestly. We just talked through what we believe, why we believe it, and I brought people in and to kind of create a forum to talk about all of these things. One week was about the Bible, and, and I just wanted these, these, uh, these panelists to talk about why they read the Bible, how they got started reading the Bible. Why is the Bible important for your life? And I'll never forget one of these stories. His name was Ken Kendall, and he was—he uh, sat on the panel, and he just said, "You know, this this word of God is so important for me. It's a priority in my life." He said a while back, uh, I had a routine. I would wake up, and I would drink my coffee, and I would read the sports section. He's a big Laker fan. I didn't hold that against him. I would read the sports section. I'd read how the Lakers did. I would read about stuff going on in sports. And he said, one morning, I was sitting at the kitchen table, drinking coffee, and I was reading the sports section. And as I was praying for my breakfast, he said, I heard God say to me, you never miss your sports section. He said, that was one of the most profound moments of my life. I realized that although God was a priority in my life, I was putting other things before him. I didn't always read scripture because I didn't always get there. 
Sometimes I was just too into the sports section. I had to go to work, and I just left. He said, from that, day, from that day forward, I sit at the kitchen counter when I wake up in the morning, and the very first thing that I read is Scripture. Because I never forgot my sports section. The Word of God became such a priority for him. And, and, and he said like, he felt the way that it changed his life. He felt that there was a difference when he began to prioritize God's Word in his life. And it has to take priority in our homes. It also has to take priority here in our church. Our church has to... Has to I mean, this is really the whole point of this series, right? That we need to take, we need to put this word up on top. We need to make this the most important thing in our church, right? Here in chapter four, he kind of, in chapter four, there's kind of a follow-up to this, this phrase here. It says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing kingdom, I give you this charge. He's talking to second, he's talking to He's talking to 2 Timothy. No, he's talking to Timothy. Uh, and here's what he says in verse 2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And this is, I think, one of the most daunting scriptures. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them with a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. I mean, I want you to just think about this. Even, even in the time in which second, <laughs> and Timothy is getting this letter. Already in culture, there's this itch. Not to just, not to put priority on the word of God because it's uncomfortable. But to find people who are teaching them what they want to hear. Does that sound familiar? We've got to put a priority on this book. On scripture. In our own lives and in our church. And I think if that happens, we we'll be able to do so much for the kingdom. God will move in us, through us, as we focus and put priority on his word. I I truly, honestly believe that. That's really the whole point of this whole series. This, this, this 2 Timothy 4, 1 through, 1 through 3, could literally be the theme verse of this scripture, uh, of this, of this series, because this is why we're talking about what we're talking about. It has to be a priority. God's, God's word has to take priority among us. Here's, here's the second thing about God's word that has to be true for us. That God's word is sufficient for us. Amen. God's word is sufficient for us. And that's the whole point of the manna, right? That God, God provided the manna. He said, my word is sufficient for you. My, my word, I told you that I would feed you. You're not having to look anywhere else for your sustenance. You look to me. You look to my word. My word will be sufficient. Right? My prayer is that we will be a church that trusts this. <clears throat> that trusts the word of God, that says the word of God is sufficient for us. When God is calling us through his word to go and do some things that seem uncomfortable, to go and do some things, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to go and do some things that sound uncomfortable or unpleasant or, or just weird in general, 
Right? When God's word is calling us to do something, will we trust it? Do we trust the word of God? Is the word of God sufficient in our lives? See, culture <clears throat> is, is in a place where we're trying to find comfort in all kinds of other things. But God's word is sufficient for us. In our times of need, we can go to Scripture. In our times of pain, we can go to Scripture. When we need direction in our lives, we can go to Scripture. Scripture is sufficient for us. Here's the last thing. Scripture is satisfying for us. Well, Scripture is a priority. And when we really trust that Scripture is sufficient for us, then Scripture becomes so satisfying for us. Amen. And when we read Scripture, I mean, Psalm, Psalm 19 even says that the Word of God is more precious than gold. And this is, this is, how, it, this is how it is. I mean, when we trust that it's sufficient, we can feast on it because it's satisfying. I mean, this is, this is so, such good stuff about the Word. We, we do it daily in our homes. We do it in our lives. We do it weekly here together. We just come to feast on the Word of God because the Word of God is satisfying for us. Amen. And I think one of, the, one of the best parts of this Scripture is this last part, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right, this, this, this Word is not just kind of a... It's not out there somewhere... It's not in space. It's not something we're wondering what, what it's there for. And it's the Word of God communicating to us. It is God revealing Himself to us through this Word. But there's a so that. So that we might be equipped to go out and to be difference makers. To go out and to change our culture. To go out and to share the gospel boldly through the Holy Spirit like we talked about last week. This is, we're going to be equipped if we find our sustenance, we put priority on this, to find our satisfaction in the Word. This is what we believe about the Word of God. Here's my question for you today. What role does the Word of God play in your life? Do you have a sports section in your life that maybe takes a little bit more priority? Do you wake up just hungry for it? Do you go to sleep wishing there was more time in the day so you could read more of it? Is this, do you find this book satisfying? Do you find this book sustaining for you? Do you find this book sufficient for you? Is this a priority in your life? My prayer is that it's a yes. My prayer is that this book is not just a, a book that we come and we talk about on the weekends, but this is a book that plays a role in your everyday life. If all you're getting from Scripture is from me on Sunday mornings, you're doing it wrong. This book is not this, I'm not the only one that can read this book. I'm not the only one that can talk about this book. You can too. And if you open it, I promise you that as you seek God, you will find Him in this book. All right, Jeremiah 29, not verse 11, but verse 12, 13. You will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you go to this book looking 
for God. You will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. Let this book be priority in your life. Let this book be sufficient for your life. Let this book be so satisfying for you that you just hunger for it, that you want more and more of it, that you just want to, you're just hungry for God to speak through it. If it's been a while since you've read, I want to challenge you. Go home, wipe the dust off, break it open. See what God does in your life this week. I promise you things change when the Word of God is priority.